0: If you live in a place uh, for a bit, it can be can be easy to see the the same detail around you day by day. The same buildings, the signs, the walls, the roads, <laughs> houses, trees. Writer and artist Vanessa Berry, uh, however, explores her urban space with a closer attention, an eye for detail, but also. Uh, for the other creatures who who share those spaces with the the human tide. The intersections of human and animal life have been catching her eye. Uh, She's the artist behind Mirror Sydney, uh, an atlas of reflections, essays, hand-drawn maps describing Sydney through unusual forgotten or abandoned places, that's back a bit now. Uh, she has a new book of essays that, that place the animal world in this, in this crowded frame, and it's called Gentle and Fierce. Vanessa, welcome.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Lovely to be here. Your, your focus
0: on the detail, what, what, what catches your eye when you wander through an environment, an urban space?
1: I guess I'm always looking for small changes or anomalies or unusual things, things that catch my eye and I wonder at how they came to be that way. Um, and that can be in the urban environment, like with my work in Mirror Sydney or with uh, Gentle and Fierce. I turned my attention, as you said, to the, the animal world and thinking about those kinds of everyday encounters we have with animals, which are often surprising in different ways potentially for both parties, of course. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, we live in a shared world, and that's one of the things that I wanted to focus on in doing this work, thinking about how those little reminders that we get um, from moment to moment that we do live in a shared world with other creatures, uh, because I think that's a really important way to connect with wider ecological thinking and feel more connected to our environments, especially urban environments, which is where I live and work.
0: Mirror Sydney, its that's it's a 10-year history now. It's an established idea, a, a wonderful project.
1: Oh, thank you. Yes, it had its 10th birthday this year. That's, so that's the blog version uh, of the project. So it has a few different um, versions. There's a podcast, a uh, blog, and also a book and a series of maps. So it has many different uh, arms, I guess, um, but yes, ten years seemed uh, significant. I, I wasn't when I started it. I wasn't sure how long it would go. Of course, um, but there's always more to see, and the city is constantly changing. And um, so, I like to keep my eye on, on what's changing out there.
0: In that more to see, is that is it a, a continual narrowing of the gaze, or something rather different to that?
1: I think it's. It, it's more just that the city's constantly changing around me, and I don't think it's it's becoming uh, – my gaze is becoming more narrow. I think just more thing things shift and change so much um, in the environment as, you know, say, buildings are demolished or places are redeveloped or there's some kind of natural change um, – that i think things always appear to me as i walk around people often ask me how do you find places to write about considering i've done it for 10 years but it's just by keeping my just by keeping my eyes open most of the time and um And seeing little things, like I was in a suburb um, called Bexley North in Sydney, which is a nice enough suburb, but it's not one that um, you would probably know of unless you're from Sydney or even that area of Sydney. Um, And I was there and I noticed this plaque on the side of a park bench in an overgrown garden, and it said the garden had won a a gardening um, award from the Sydney Morning Herald in the 1960s. And that that was curious to me because I thought, well, it's it's quite overgrown now and it obviously didn't look like that then. So that took me on a journey through the archives Mm. to to have a look at what it must have looked like. And it did indeed look very different when it won the prize, but there were still vestiges of it. So some of the trees were still there. Like it had had these neat conifers in the photos from the 60s, but now they were grown kind of wildly and askew, as conifers tend to do once they get into, you know, numerous decades, they can go off in a particular direction and be asymmetrical. Uh, So I like that comparison between... The present, like what we see around us in mm. the recent past, and that's what Mira Sydney um, is driven by.
0: I love that. Yeah, but that. That's such a wonderful image of the, the garden. It must have been once so proper, so prim.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Oh, it was all very, very neat. And it had a lavish fountain because it was um, an Olympic, um, a, a commemoration of the Olympics, and it had an Olympic torch fountain, which was, um, yes, yeah, sitting right there on the, on the corner Um, yeah it was was very neat and prim and and proper and now it's the opposite and I mean really it's it's it definitely has seen better days and it's at the edge of the supermarket car park now vestiges of it live on
0: (laughs) gentle and fierce is a is a wonderful collection I mean just just perhaps describe the, the broad concept for us
1: so in my work in Mirror Sydney, I started to turn um, some of my attention towards the kinds of uh, everyday relationships I have with animals in the urban space, because this also interests me as well as the built environment. And this led into um, Gentle and Fierce, which is a book of essays that are about personal connections to animals, actual animals, but also animal representations. So some are more about my family. History, so, for example, um, in my childhood, my grandfather would take me to see a taxidermy Kodiak bear in Macquarie University, which is still there and, and the story in the the book is that I, I go back to find this bear as an adult. And actually, I found Frank as the bear is called, um, to be as impressive as I found Frank to be when I was say <laughs> six years old, which doesn't often happen usually when you're revisiting some a childhood place or thing, it seems much smaller, but Frank was still pretty magnificent um and and so, yeah, following those kinds of connections and thinking about uh, those kinds of animal presences that are the kind of everyday ones, but also ones that might become part of my own personal story, thinking about the lives of animals and my life and how they they intersect.
0: We think of the, the uh, in particular, the urban environment as being a, a fairly human-centric proposition. But for an animal in that world, it would be, quite to the contrary can we can we imagine ourselves into that space
1: i think so and it's through that active careful attention that anyone can bring to wherever they are at any time um, by slowing down i mean i make it all sound so easy Uh, we don't often have perhaps the time or resources to slow down but if we can it's a very enriching thing to do creatively but just as a person living in the world I think I mean it's always what I try to do with my writing to bring that about for people um, or uh, help to help people to do that and feel more connected to the world around them. I mean certainly watching uh, or observing animals even just in kind of the very constrained environment of the home um, thinking about how a huntsman spider might dash out from behind something on the Behind a picture frame on the wall, which i mean horrifies many i 'm not an arachnophobe, so it doesn 't horrify <laughs> me I, I kind of like them i mean i don 't want them crawling all over me but i I, I, um, I respect them, and the reason why they do that is because they naturally will go behind and it, bark on trees. And so to them, the picture on the wall hmm. is like the bark of a tree. Um, and so just thinking a, a little bit more about these, I mean, maybe that's an alarming example, but it was the one that came to mind, thinking more about these moments and thinking, of what what is it like from the animal's perspective? And I mean, the huntsman spider doesn't know that it's not um, allowed in the human world and that it shouldn't be behind the painting or whatever's hanging on the wall. So just those little moments...
0: I find that thought though that the you know in, in terms of the the spider's uh, sense of its world, it's it's behind a piece of bark. I find that comforting. It's not actually lying in wait within a human environment, but ready to pounce. It's actually just thinking it's on a tree. I like that.
1: <laughs> yes, well, well, hopefully, and just the thought of it, you know, it's doing its own thing, and it's such an alarming can be such an alarming thing for for us to suddenly have one of these spiders scuttle across. I yes. mean, during the during the the years of lockdown i had plenty of um time to observe the insects around the house and uh, just the kind of i was thinking oh i'm sitting in a room that has dust mites that has unseen spiders that has all sorts of little creatures in it that i don't even know and it's their world well too so in those I mean, I wrote Gentle and Fierce before lockdown, so I um it doesn't have reflection on that. It has, it kind of comes up to the end of 2019. Mm. So it does have an essay that's about the fires because, of course, that, uh, the Black Summer fires, because, of course, that really um, heightened our relationship and the whole thinking about our relationship what? to the natural world.
0: And, and we get to the fire via the cockatoo. Tell us about that.
1: Yes. So I live in the inner suburbs of Sydney um, but of course when the black summer fires were on the smoke filled the air ash was coming down from the sky it was an intense and distressing time and it was also extremely hot and I'd been doing this project all year uh, for Gentle and Fierce which I called Animal Chronicle where I would write down all my um, encounters with animals whatever they were and I was making an animal chronicle that kind of had a mixture of um, more light-hearted things and more serious things but I wrote a second animal chronicle about the time of the fires um, because it having that uh, experience really changed what I noticed in terms of animals and also knowing so many animals um, were killed and mm. so at the it's a very very hot day it's sort of up up in the high 40s, it's an extreme day and I remember I was sitting on the lawn and everything just felt so dry around me. It was smoky. It was kind of, I felt, yeah, nowhere to go. And there was a cockatoo sitting in the tree um, above me, really high up, just uh, slowly eating through these little hard figs that grow on the tree. Uh, and I could hear the, the figs as the cockatoo kind of nibbled off the the outer layer of the fig would drop it down onto the bottom of the car and it made this pinging noise like <laughs> hail. And just as a – like it was a, it was a moment. I think sometimes we do have these moments in our lives where you just you, – you, you there's a bit of a shift or you're just really still. And it was such an extreme day and I thought, oh, the birds up there just slowly eating these figs and how is the bird feeling? I will never know. Um, but, yeah, it was certainly a, just this moment that made me think about um, – the, yeah, how how animals and how humans are so interconnected, and you know, animals are suffering because of of human um, actions. And yeah, it was, so it was a small moment, small everyday moment, but it it had this profound effect on me. And so the rest of the essay are other such moments um, in that those particular few weeks around the end of the year in 2019 that were just so intense. That that thought, though, of, of
0: you know, here we are, creatures within a a common environment, and yet our experience of it is is so inexplicably different, and 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 a, and a gulf that we can really never effectively effectively bridge.
1: Yeah, we can't. Uh, I, I do feel like cr- you know, creative and imaginative ways of approaching it, whether that be through art or writing or or whatever creative form, do get us thinking about, I guess, the impossibility of that, but also about the possibility mm. of imagining, which I think is important, which is not to say that we will, we, we can never properly know, but to have a sense of empathy uh, and feeling for animals, thinking about how life might be for them is very helpful, uh, I think. So, yes, there's an impossibility, but that doesn't mean... Um, there's no value in trying um, and to, to use our powers of imagination, our human powers of imagination to
0: do that. I suspect it's, it's that, that gulf and the surrender in the face of that gulf that has got us into all sorts of problems in terms of human in, um, experience of and, and degradation of environments. If we, we, can oh, then, we can then cast the animal world as the other uh, and, and move on with our destructive lives.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a complicated problem and um, there's – without one solution, um, but um, thinking of ways that, you know, in whatever we do, um, if we can try to bring in a sense of environmental and ecological thinking – into it. And yeah, no matter what we do. I mean, the kind of writing I do isn't traditional nature writing or mm. traditionally um, would be thought of as environmental writing. But that is one of the ways I think about it because there are many different ways to activate environmental consciousness and as many as possible are going to be the most useful or at least that's what I I hope.
0: Vanessa, thank you. Yes, the the challenge is to to stop and look <laughs> see, see what we might see.
1: I, I think so it's always served me well as um, a way of, of being in a world and i I do think of it as my superpower actually as a as <laughs> a good. writer and a, yes. and a creative person I mean I believe we all have superpowers I mean I teach writing as well and one of the things I try to do with my my students is help them identify their own superpowers with their their writing and creative work but yes certain, close attention is is certainly mine and um it's always a, a, a real uh, joy to share that with people in its
0: various forms. Vanessa, thank you so much for, for sharing with us. Now yeah, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Vanessa Berry, you may know her from Mirror Sydney. You may know her from a new essay collection called Gentle and Fierce. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.